Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And Oz and Kara from Sleepwalkers have come back to join me yet again. Spoiler alert, we actually haven't left anywhere. We just sat here the whole time, and we're recording two episodes back to back. But if you haven't heard our previous discussion, which was kind of a, a high-level discussion about AI and the potential dangers and sort of the the various messaging we've received about AI and the the warning signs and the promises. You should listen to that episode first. Um, if you haven't subscribed to Sleepwalkers, you should absolutely do that too because the show is amazing. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit more about how different parts of the world are treating AI, whether it's from a government perspective or a business perspective, the technological you know development of AI. Where is that actually? happening the fastest, and the answer to that might surprise you if uh, you haven't been paying close attention to news around the world. And we're going to dive into all of that. So without any further ado, welcome back to the show, Oz and Kara. Thank you so much, Jonathan. 
Hi, Jonathan, again. <laughs> Hi again. Yeah, and uh, while we were uh, between shows, we were just, you know, talking about Lady Gaga and Shakespeare, as you are wont to do. Uh, it's just kind of what we technologists, technology uh, podcasters tend to, to really, you know, kind of revel in when we're not on, on mic, or at least not recording. But I wanted to talk first about where do we see really aggressive, uh, uh, you know, moving forward on, on technology and AI? Like, where are we seeing the most um, development in AI? Because a lot of people think of Silicon Valley as sort of the place, like it's, it's the breeding ground for all technologies. But uh, as it turns out, that's, that's really a very narrow view. And it, it's ignoring a, a giant superpower <laughs> that is pouring a lot of resources into AI development, right? Uh, China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be um, it. <laughs> sorry, so China is, is, um, is leading the charge on AI. And one of the guests we had on the show on Sleepwalkers uh, is a guy called Kai-Fu Lee, mm-hmm. who uh, was part of the team at Apple that developed the technology behind Siri in the 90s went on to run Google China and is now one of the biggest technology investors in China through a fund called Sinovation Ventures, which has backed all sorts of different uh, technology ventures in China, uh, including several unicorns, so billion-dollar companies, one of which is um, called Megvi, which does facial recognition technology. Kai-Fu Li recently wrote a book called AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. Uh, New World Order is quite a a resonant phrase, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thesis of the book is simply that China are doing AI a lot better, a lot more aggressively, and with a lot more uh, promise than we are in the US. Uh, And that's for two reasons. Number one, China, unlike the US, is a uh, a centralized uh, country, a centralized government, who have said absolutely, with no hesitation, AI is our biggest priority. In 2017, the Communist Party released what they called the New Generation Artificial Intelligence Development Plan. And the first paragraph read, AI has become a new focus of international competition. AI is a strategic technology that will lead the future. The world's major developed countries are taking the development of AI as a major strategy to enhance national competitiveness and protect national security. So China have been on this for two years, I mean, for longer than two years, but they're taking it immensely seriously, uh, and we're not. Uh, We did have our own presidential executive order uh, in April of this year, but it didn't come with any funding. Uh, Kaifu's second point, which I'm sure we'll get onto, is that that China also have a much richer data set, which is um, the power behind the throne of AI. Yeah, uh, something that uh, I think a, a lot of Americans in particular aren't aware of is that uh, when you look over at China and China's efforts to to own AI, essentially, I mean, they're, they're, they're saying we are going to be established as the, the primary uh, source of AI development by 2030, and they're, they're well on their way to doing that already. Uh, it, you look at the, the BAT, that's the three big companies that collectively are valued at more than a trillion dollars, Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. And those are already enormous corporations uh, that have deep ties to the the state government of China and that are working very hard in AI. But beyond that, even though, you know, you might think, well, those are maybe three big companies, but how is that 
that that big of a of a of a uh, you know a force on its own. They also invest heavily in lots of startup companies, including unicorns. Uh, they, they, in fact, they, <laughs> out of the six hundred billion dollars of unicorns out of China from a couple of years ago, they made up fifty percent of the investment into those companies. Then beyond that, they're investing in companies outside of China and and in other parts of the world, including the United States. Uh, Tencent, for example, has been uh, investing heavily in video games over in the West Coast, uh, along with lots of other different companies out there. So not only are you talking about a a country that has an enormous population and therefore an enormous source of information on its own, it has spread out around the globe. So it's gathering information from everywhere. So it's it's really this incredibly pervasive system to gather the fuel that is going to power artificial intelligence. Uh, and meanwhile, you also have uh, very smart people running very sophisticated laboratories working on the next generation of, uh, of algorithms and applications of AI. So you've got like the perfect storm over there. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think, I mean, just in terms of what you're talking about, you know, Tencent being involved in Fortnite, if I'm correct. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just doing, and I was doing the floss right over here, actually. As, as you were that's saying. right. Yeah. And also the ownership of uh, a, a little known dating app called Grindr, mm-hmm. um, which the U.S. is actually trying to get back just because of the n- national security threat that is involved in the Chinese owning uh, so much <laughs> user data from uh, United States citizens, including U.S. military personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think I think what's alarming about this is that we is that we're sort of entering into this new territory of, you know, war and uh, com- competition and war being less about, you know, guns and bombs and more, and, I, and I, this is not; these are not my words. I've read this, <laughs> but, sure. but more about you know bits and bites, mm-hmm. so to speak. I think you read that from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. That's right. I'm quoting Mike Pompeo happily. <laughs> I think, uh, um, which actually he said in regards to Huawei, which yeah. is obviously in the news quite a bit recently. Um, you know, I think that the there's there's the technology race, which is you know sort of who's going to have who's going to advance quickly and mm-hmm. in the best way. But it's also about sort of who owns data and who has access to what data. I think the China, the Chinese government does not really have a problem uh, spying on its citizens. I, I don't even think we'd call it spying necessarily. I think it's sweeping um, mm-hmm. is what is what they tend to do. And um, with that data can make some pretty... Uh, you know, chilling accusations um, about people who they think are dissenting against the government. Um, you know, in the United States, we are very free with the data we give away because I don't think enough people think about how much data they're giving away in any given day. Mm-hmm. But the U.S. government, hopefully, uh, will remain so, is not as, what's the word? Pervasive, pervasive, and, and aggressive about collecting said data and using it to, um, you know, imprison 
their citizens. So I I don't know. I think China can kind of get away with more. And maybe that's why or the Chinese government is allowing Chinese businesses to get away with more yeah. than the U.S. government. I also think it's worth pointing out in, in the U.S., you know, we have this phenomenon of surveillance capitalism. So there's a bunch of big firms who take all the data we give them use it to model us, make predictions about us, and sell us more stuff. Yeah. Um, in China, it's surveillance statecraft. And um, the data is not siloed between Amazon, Google, Facebook, and others. Um, it tends to be in the hands of the big technology companies in China, You know, who, given that they're not fully state-owned, but much more hand-in-pocket with the government than our technology companies are, uh, share their collected data much more widely, which allows them to make better predictions about what might happen and uh, be determinative about the outcome of their citizens. I do think it's worth pointing out a lot of this conversation about the difference between AI in China and the United States uh, that we have on this side of the Pacific um, is filtered through our... Um, liberal individual worldview, mm-hmm. which states that um, you know f- free will, the ability to control one's own outcomes, um, the, the you know the, the recognition of oneself as an individual are the utmost goods, and that worldview simply isn't shared throughout most of China. Now you can say that's that will change, you know, as society opens up. You can say there's an inevitable progress, if you want to call it progress, towards our worldview. But the fact is that isn't the worldview in China, and and. Many Many Chinese citizens are, are used to living uh, in one, on a one-party state since um, since uh, Mao Zedong in 1945 or whatever it was in the 1940s, and so there's an, there's an, there's a there's a sense of being accustomed to the belief that harmony and the um, furthering of the state's goals uh, rise um, rise is a rising tide which raises all boats. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think we have this desire to see, and of course it has happened in China. There's been Tiananmen Square, you know, there there, there have been organic protest movements, but we do have the desire to impose our um, absolute uh, belief in the importance of the individual and free will on the rest of the world. And, you know, I'm not sure that um, if you ask the average Chinese citizen, you know, do you resent being surveilled uh, when the most the highest number of people have been lifted out of poverty in the fastest time of any country in history. I think the answer might be, you know, perhaps we prefer more freedoms, but this isn't the worst thing uh, in the world. Also, China is an ethnically, largely ethnically homogenous society. So for the, for the average Han Chinese, the, the trade-off for this, um, this lifting out of uh, poverty and the national pride, which is which is absolutely on the rise in China, giving a much stronger sense of national identity, I would argue, than we have here. The trade-off may be worth it. What's very chilling, beyond chilling, uh, is the treatment of the non-Han Chinese in China, right. the, Tibet- the Tibetans and specifically the Uyghurs, who are really the people who experience the hard end of this surveillance state in China. Hey guys, it's Jonathan from the future. I'm just popping in to interrupt here because as it turned out, we got so into this conversation, I totally forgot to put in a break. So let's take a quick break, even while Jonathan in the past and Oz and Kara continue their conversation. We'll get back to that in just a second. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. 
on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Jonathan from the future again. We're going to get right back into the episode. Oz was just talking about China and its use of technology and the creation of a surveillance state. And we're going to pick up with my response. Yeah, and as we mentioned in the last episode, you know, we were talking about about bias and how that can uh, be unintentionally inserted into a system and how that can cause harm. But you could also intentionally create a right. biased system specifically in order to keep tabs on particular populations that uh, that are, you know, minorities. And, yeah. the, okay. and obviously that could lead to truly horrific, inhumane practices leading all the way up to even genocide. 
That's right. Yes. I mean, right now what we're seeing is sort of um, imprisonment in re-education camps. But I think it's important to note, and this is, again, you know, piggybacking off of what Oz was saying, you know, the Chinese Communist Party has often used surveillance as a means for control. The difference is, is that artificial intelligence enables a kind of surveillance that we haven't seen before, which is, you know, in China, there is basically a very large operation that they call EJOPT, which is the Integrated Joint Oper- Integrated Joint Operations. And what that does is it's a database that is sweeping information from you know, basically every source imaginable, Wi-Fi, you know, visitor management system. So, you know, for example, in America, what we call, you know, when you walk into a building and register your name to visit an office, you know, mm-hmm. um, WeChat, um, WeChat conversations, you know, uh, when you leave the country, when you come back in the country, all of these things are being swept into um, a larger, I don't, I don't know what the word is for it. It's not server. I don't know how to say it. But system. system. It's system. a system. It's a system that that's then making decisions and predictions about who is basically doing right and doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And we just simply don't have we don't have anything like that in the United States right now. I mean, certainly we can uh, there there are companies that can use our information in the United States to make predictions about us, to sell us things, to basically set our insurance premiums. But as far as just an integrated system that is making decisions about its people and then also using it to imprison its people, there's it's just unprecedented. And you know, the human rights. Watch is basically calling it a a humanitarian crisis, which I which I think it is. When you think about, you know, um, your own country basically spying on your conversations, um, really, I mean, obviously without your consent, people are stopped all the time in China and their phones are taken and read through like that's Mm -hmm. a very that's a a sort of normal day. Um, And then using that information to uh, put you in a reeducation camp. I mean, I, I think if most Americans knew that, which I don't think they do. Um, they would be uh, alarmed. Yeah, but let's be clear. You know, we're we're very far from having re-education camps in the U.S., but we do, and it's not on a state level um, or a national level. We do make decisions about people's outcomes with yeah. stuff like credit scores. I mean, mm-hmm. the credit score. That's true. You know, in, in in China, it's 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 ethnically, it's explicitly ethnic, right? Mm-hmm. Well, again, in China, they wouldn't say that, but <laughs> effectively, it's explicitly ethnic against the Uyghurs. In the U.S., we have credit scores, and guess what? Most people who grow up with a certain amount of privilege know what their credit score is, uh, understand the principle of the credit score, get a credit card as early as they can, start building their credit, making monthly payoffs, and then when it comes time to get a mortgage and buy a house and move to a nice neighborhood, guess what? All the pieces are in place. But but for, for many people who don't grow up with privilege, the, the credit score comes as a complete surprise at a certain point in life that, you know, there's even notion of having bad credit. All of a sudden, you know, you've got bad credit without ever having realized that you had this credit score you were supposed to be working on. And guess what? You can't move out of your neighborhood. You can't get what you want. You can't yeah. you know, buy your children the things they need. So we do have this here. It's not state policy, but we've, we've effectively outsourced um, this predictive uh, technology about what people are going to do in the future to private corporations who, <laughs> who use it to profit from us rather than to control us. But we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't beat China too hard with this stick when we have certain analogous practices here in the US. 
Sure. I mean, and you could even, I'm sure there are plenty of people who do argue that when we see the practices of certain uh, actual state-level organizations in the United States, that we should be concerned about what sort of systems they might be using. I'm thinking specifically of the NSA because it wasn't that long ago when we were having enormous headlines about the NSA and its practices of trying to have, you know, essentially listening points just outside of major uh, uh, communications channels, whether it was internet service providers or the telecommunications industry in general. And you start thinking, well, if you start applying these kind of AI surveillance uh, programs, which is, you know, NSA is all about trying to detect communications, uh, in that everyone gets lumped into and not just bad actors, then you start getting those concerns. And, you know, we, we saw plenty of that even without the AI element when the NSA stories were breaking a couple of years ago, uh, even just to the point where we were seeing people in the NSA uh, behaving poorly, like using the information gathered to track down, like, old uh, relationships you know, like old boyfriends and girlfriends. Right. Not an ethical use of your power <laughs> if right. you're if you're looking in on communications. So we know that it doesn't have to be a an official state line policy for this to either be uh, uh, misused in an unauthorized way or put to use in a way that uh, maybe it's not immoral, but you could at least argue it's amoral with a lot mm-hmm. of the, the business practices because that's morality is not a consideration when you're looking at how do we make more revenue how do we make a greater profit um, and and you know you're just you're essentially you're checking off boxes saying all right here's how we can make this more efficient have a lower cost to us uh, a greater payoff in the long run and so we start to see how exactly as you were saying Oz that that while you it is easy to point to another country and say these policies are clearly uh, uh, harmful to people and are therefore bad. We also need to make sure we're reflecting on the environment that we ourselves are in. Uh, well, when we, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to make one comment. You know, yes. in, for example, in the state of Arizona, if you applied for a driver's license in the state of Arizona, your photo was then put into a database that was being used by that was being used for facial recognition, right? Mm. And that was without driver's consent. Basically, law enforcement came back and was like, well, we, you know, we think people know that this is going on. Mm-hmm. You know, that was their best answer. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, there was, you know, fine print that people didn't read. It was basically like, well, we thought people knew. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I, we can't exonerate, yeah, sort of our own, our home turf because there's certainly, I don't even know if you would call this misuse. It just seems like exploitation, um, for gain for for basically gains of, I think police departments that are seeing this technology, recognizing how powerful it is, but also realizing that it's something that needs to be regulated and not knowing how or not really caring. Yeah, and I think Jonathan, you used the great example of the NSA, um, which I think ties very neatly to what we're talking about. Edward Snowden had a very haunting phrase, which was turnkey tyranny, to describe basically once you build infrastructure for something, um, anything can happen. And the technological infrastructure we have here in the US for surveillance and social control 
is, I mean, we, we have fewer cameras, you know, there are more distinctions between companies, but effectively the infrastructure exists to do what's happening in China here. Mm-hmm. And that's very frightening uh, because, you know, as we know from Henry Ford's uh, wonderful pressure to build roads in the US, guess what? You build the roads, people are going to drive cars and not take the train. So once this infrastructure exists and you add to that, um, you know, a leader who doesn't respect norms or wartime, all of a sudden, the um, barriers that we think are so solid to protect that infrastructure being weaponized against us start to erode very, very quickly. And I think that that's the moment we're in right now. And that's another reason why we wanted to call this podcast Sleepwalkers, because if we don't insist on those norms and legal protections. Bit by bit, the infrastructure will have its own logic. And one emergency after another, remember the Patriot Act, will allow this uh, technology to be used against us uh, in ways that we currently find sickening and horrifying and terrifying in China. Uh, they could easily come home. Yeah, yeah, it's a a sobering point. And uh, on that point, I think we're going to take a quick break so I can suck my thumb in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. 
There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, all right. Pruny thumb aside, now we've talked about uh, some of the differences between, say, China and the United States. One of the things I thought uh, was interesting is the idea that in China you have you have sort of a a, a very concrete strategy in place, right? A top-down strategy. And it's it's pretty much all the companies that are working on this strategy are in alignment with it to some degree or another. Some are very much in step with the state government. Others are to a lesser degree, perhaps, but still, you know, following along the strategy. Meanwhile, in the United States, it's much more of uh, this competitive, this this classic capitalist idea of competition in the space where you have all these different pockets that are all trying to own AI themselves competing against each other. Uh, So we're getting lots of interesting innovation, but not nearly at the same speed or scale as we're seeing in China. Is that that more or less a, a correct assumption or am I way off base here? No, I think that's completely fair. Um, You know, this year, uh, the government, the President Trump, did uh, announce an executive order on AI uh, in February, uh, and so that was that was seen as a kind of belated response to what China are doing. And that executive order um, that the president issued had four major components: number one, to set AI as a national priority of the United States; number two, interestingly, to get better at data sharing between the government and private <laughs> enterprise. <laughs> Number three, to set ethical guidelines on how AI is used in terms of surveillance and military. And number four, to make sure that uh, the United States is doing the best it can to educate the next generation of engineers and AI scientists. Now, those are all good things, apart from maybe two, <laughs> number two, the data sharing. Um, but guess how much funding that executive order came with? I'm going to guess that it was a big old goose egg. Zero dollars. <laughs> yeah. Zero dollars. Whereas Shenzhen, which is a, a province in China, is spending $15 billion this year. That's one of the many, many provinces in mm-hmm. China spending not even federal money, but state money on AI. So in that context, you can say, oh, you know, we're, we're getting up to speed. We're responding. But, uh, you know, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. And we're not doing that. Yeah. And on a, on a related note, you know, it, when we talk about things like the regulations, the laws in place, like how do we how do we then create policies that uh, ensure that we're using AI responsibly and productively and not in ways that are harmful or destructive, um, at least to, to our own citizens if and hopefully not to anyone at all. We tend to see that lag behind, just like we do with technology in general. We tend to see technology innovations far, uh, outdistancing our ability to to incorporate that into our our legal you know kind of massive infrastructure, uh, understandably so. Obviously, that that system is going to move much more slowly than technological innovation, but it does create these pain points. Whether it's uh, you know like autonomous cars, you know you have different states in the United States that will allow for some degree of autonomous car testing. Meanwhile, you've got companies like Tesla that are rolling out vehicles that have autopilot feature, which to the company's credit, they say is not meant to be taken as an autonomous system. But tell that to all the people going down the highway who are leaning back in their cars with their hands off the wheel. Um, You could argue that that falls to the responsibility of the individuals, but if enough individuals are doing it, you got to start asking what's the value of actually having the system in place. 
we're seeing that as uh, being a kind of a, a disparity as well, right? We're seeing this this gap between what we're capable of and what we should be doing, or at least what you know what our legal system says we should be doing. And meanwhile, in contrast to that, and and Kara, you mentioned the EU a couple times in our last podcast. Over in the European Union, you have committees dedicated to thinking about these sort of things and starting to propose potential uh, uh, strategies or, or even presenting different options for strategies for dealing with AI even beyond these these cases that I'm talking about. Like they're, they're going to the point where uh, I remember reporting on this a, a couple of years ago for Forward Thinking, a series I used to do, where the EU was proposed <coughs> – a committee in the EU rather was proposing the idea of granting personhood to artificially intelligent systems. And on the face of it, that sounds absurd to a lot of people, the idea of granting a non-human the concept of personhood, despite the fact that in the United States, we have corporations, which are exactly that. But, Citizens United. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm like, hey, hey we, we corporations can be people too. And uh, as long as they can give money. Yeah, as long as they can give money to politicians, absolutely. So why can't robots? But the, the, the point that the EU committee was making was not that robots have feelings and we should really be considerate of them, but rather there needs to be some way to start to establish concepts like accountability uh, in the case where some form of AI construct or, or robot causes harm in the form of damages or injury? How do you start to determine who's at fault? We touched on this a little bit in the last episode. So to me, it's fascinating that those are discussions that are popping up, uh, like very serious discussions in the EU. And Oz, I think when we met briefly in New York uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that this is an area of the world not known for making incredible advances in AI technology. It's not like you look at Europe as saying, this is where the hotbed for AI development is. But it is a region that's dedicating a lot of consideration to the implications of AI in day-to-day lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the EU has been out in front on on thinking about uh, technology and AI. Um, Obviously, GDPR was a big uh, act on regulating uh, data and informing people about how people's data is being used, passed in the EU, which triggered a whole series of conversations in the US about data regulation, which, you know, we'll probably see they're starting now, we may see them come into law in the next two or three or four years. So the EU, good old Europe, uh, despite its uh, stifling effects on innovation, I think, and on technological innovation, is an innovator in terms of regulation, which probably sounds like a contradiction in terms. And this is an area that Kara's looked into really closely and has some, I think, very interesting insights about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, as I was saying to you earlier, actually on the form, I guess it was the former ep- or the episode before this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, the EU's approach to me up very recently, you know, was to basically collect a group of 52 experts and, you know, create these seven core requirements for artificial intelligence. Now, 
I mean, I can name them. You know, one is human agency and oversight. The other is technical robustness. The third is privacy and data governance. The fourth is transparency. The fifth is AI, that AI systems should be sustainable, um, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Um, AI systems should be auditable, as we were talking about with, you know, black uh, the black box problem. Mm -hmm. You know, AI should also be available to all. You know, this is what we talk about in terms of bias, gender bias, um, you know, uh, racial bias, all of those things. But I, I don't... I have a bit of an issue with it just in that it's it doesn't seem to have much a action involved in it. There aren't mm -hmm. many action items. I think I think it is important um, for governments to to set standards, you know, as a as a sort of first step, um, you know, and I think it also primes, you know, sort of average citizens to be aware of misuse, right? Because when you set when you set up requirements, it means that these are things that can be misused and, and be misused easily. And I will say, you know, whenever I go home, every time you go onto a website on your phone, mm -hmm. you get a notification saying, are you willing to let this website uh, put cookies? Are you willing to share your data? Are you willing to accept targeted ads? And and the, the net effect socially of, of that reminder that your data is valuable and you have a choice every single day 50 times, that, that inevitably causes a shift in consciousness and, and a shift in citizenship. So mm. I do think it's easy to say this regulation is toothless, but I also think it can, you know, make people think differently. Oh, it's a huge culture. I mean, when you just think, I mean, think about it, think about cigarettes, right? I mean, it's just not, you just don't smoke inside right. anymore. Yeah. Legally, you can't. But I, I'm saying, you know, the, just the shift in public perception about smoking, the shift in public perspective, um, perspective about sugar, for example, yeah. at least in, in the United States. You know, those were all things that at, at one point were not really discussed or talked about. And, you know, everyone kind of smoked cigarettes and that's what people did. And, you know, then they got lung cancer. But, you know, I think the there is as long as there is a public discourse um, about privacy, people will begin to care more and more about privacy. So I, I think, you know, the EU presenting um, these seven requirements is is a step in the right direction. Absolutely. And, and if if anything will just make people think about these seven tenants when they're going about their sort of everyday lives. And I think we'll we'll make companies, um, you know, focus on building these requirements into whatever they are developing. You know, I, I think it's important for companies that are developing new technologies to think about bias, especially when the people who are developing the technologies might be quite homogenous. Yeah. It's also, I think it's worth saying that, you know, we, we tend to see the new world order in terms of America versus China. You know, not to wave the flag for <laughs> Europe, which unfortunately <laughs> my my country may longer no longer be part of. Um, but it's a it's a huge it's a huge group of nations with tremendous purchasing power, and it's a genuinely significant market for U.S. technology companies. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the effects of this may seem far off and, and and slightly irrelevant. But you know, these fines that the EU EU is already slapping Facebook and Google with, they're not necessarily materials to business yet. But you know, Europe as a voice. For for regulation is an important one because, you know, actually these new technologies, AI technologies, they tend to affect the poorest in society and the most vulnerable in society in the most negative ways. So 
algorithmic discrimination, the replacement of low, you know, of, of, of low education, shall we say, jobs like driving or, or packaging. You know, these are things that uh, are ex- being experienced at the hard edge by people who don't have much of a voice in the political system. And so the fact that the EU is, is, is taking up the mantle, even though it comes with hypocrisy, like using uh, facial recognition at the ports of entry, even though, you know, the, the level of the fines that can be applied to companies like Google and Facebook can never hurt their bottom line, I would say is an important uh, and valuable thing that is happening. And so, you know, I think the EU can offer some point of reference for how we may think about regulating AI and technology in the US in the future. And I think that, uh, you know, you've heard futurists say, we need to have some very serious conversations about AI and the ethics of AI and how we can make certain we're being responsible custodians of AI. And uh, to me, it was one of those things where it was like, we need to talk about talking about this. Like that was the conversation for a very long time. We need to talk about talking about it. It's like having a meeting to talk about when you're going to have your meeting. Have you ever worked in an office before? Oh, yeah. No, I worked in a a college administrative office before. Uh, So I've had uh, meetings about how we could have fewer meetings. uh, Um, uh, That's my favorite. This is not the way to do it. A scheduling meeting, I think we call that. Yeah. So... So having the EU actually take this step, even if you were to argue like this is a very early step and maybe there's not a lot of of teeth to it yet, it is a step as opposed to what I've seen elsewhere where it's been talking about taking a step but not even doing that much. So I'm encouraged by it because it actually moves the conversation forward. Instead of us saying we need to have this conversation, the conversation has started. I don't think it's over yet. I think that this is a good way to actually – force more parties to get involved and think about it and maybe even start proactively thinking, how can I make certain that the thing we are building is actually being built in a responsible way that isn't going to – that we can mitigate as many unintended consequences as possible, knowing that that is impossible to do uh, entirely, but to really try for it. So – to me, this is this is one of those conversations I could have all day long, but I know you guys need to get going because there's going to be someone else who's going to have to use the studio you guys are in. So I'm going to I'm not going to have us go all day long on this. Plus, we're recording this on a holiday weekend, and I know everybody wants to get home. So <laughs> we're going to wrap it up. But I want to thank you guys so much for agreeing to come on to my show. Uh, it's a fascinating conversation, and you guys obviously have some great perspectives on this. And uh, again, to my listeners out there, if you haven't subscribed to Sleepwalkers, go check it out. It's a really well-done show. Uh, I've been very impressed. As someone who has a solo show <laughs> most of the time, I listen to it and I just think, wow, that's that's so awesome. That's so great. I, I wish I were on that show every now and then. <laughs> So hint, hint, if you ever need me, you just let me know. Um, <laughs> we love it. We would absolutely yeah. love it. Let's I, talk about that. You Thank you, Jonathan. A, we had a great time today. Fantastic. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, guys. And you you guys, if you want to get in touch with me, drop me a line, say, hey, you need to talk about this other topic, or those guys were great. Have them back on the show as soon as possible. Send me an email. It's techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Pop on over to the website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You'll find the archive for all of my episodes. If you are really bored, there are more than a thousand of them. So 
have at it. And then you can pop on over to the merchandise store and you can finally get yourself that tech stuff mug that you've been wanting all this time. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.